Honesty, how are you? Welcome to the Candlelit Tales podcast, where we tell stories from Irish mythology and folklore and chat about them afterwards. This is the first episode of a new series, one that we have been calling the Tawn Mosaic. In this series, we are going to be retelling the Tawn, the great cattle raid of Cooley, from different perspectives. This will be a mosaic of different voices, different stories, different attitudes that will hopefully coalesce into the story of the Tawn in a way that we've never told it before. This first story is a tale of frustration and tragedy and ruin and is told through the eyes of the great king and champion, Fergus MacRoy. If you want to be very traditional about this, listen to these stories after dark because that was when the tawn was told, in this winter season, after the sun went down. This podcast is brought to you by our supporters at Patreon. You can join them over at patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales, or you can make a one-time donation using the PayPal button on our website. Like, share, comment, and above all, enjoy. And for now, Aaron, tell us a story. Fergus marched long and slow. Although his muscles were weak and weary and heavy and burdened, his feet marched on, a rhythmic pace to his stride. His huge sword Leocon hung down by his side. His shoulders were wrapped with a heavy cloak that set his figure apart from most others. And those others that were walking beside him now were drenched in blood. Downcast and stern look across their eyes. They looked at this huge imposing man, Fergus MacRoy, who still seemed to tower above the men like a great oak tree in the middle of the forest. His bushy head, square shoulders and great gown thrown around, falling to the ground and leading those marching south and west and away from Ulster. But although this great man's heavy footfall were leading most of these men bedraggled, burnt and bloodied away from Ulster, his head and his mind was not in the present moment. He was reflecting with each step back in time. Back to the time when he used to be the king of Ulster. And had he still been king, he could have maybe found a way to avoid the desperate situation he found themselves in. But only for the love of Nessa. Ni Esa, he would not be in this situation he found himself in. He had given up his kingship, his throne, his right to rule for the hand of Nessa. She had one condition to marry Fergus, and it was simply to allow her son, young though he might be, Crowhor, to stay on the throne for a year and a day. That was all, she promised sweetly, smiling innocently. 
And for all of that year, Fergus spent the time drinking wine and spending folded arms around his wife. He didn't realize or know to what degree she was plotting and planning and colluding with the other high men in society, the rulers, the landowners, the wealthy men, and even some of the fighting men. How well she had told Crohor to lead in kindness, gifting out wealth to those who would supply a great favor in the year to come. And after a year when he expected to go back to take his own throne, those who he had lost favor with demanded young Crohor keep his kingship from then on out. Fergus had been cast aside, although he had found some softening in being able to lead and train the boys' troop of Awanmaka. The boys' troop where he had met and trained and been delighted to see Nisha, Anla and Ardan, the sons of Ishnak, the greatest fighting trio Ulster had ever seen, until they had come across Satanta, of course. And Fergus had been there when Satanta had killed the great hound of Cullens, taking his name, Coo Cullen. And for the love he had for Coo Cullen, he simply wished he had been in Ulster the day Nisha, Anla and Ardon had died. His mind swirled as he looked at the swirling clouds up and around him, marching still down to the south, heavy and weary though he was, his mind still troubled backwards. Back to the day when Kaffa had heard a baby screaming inside her mother's stomach, and he had laid his hand on this woman's belly and given the prophecy that Fergus knew would come true. He had seen it rip the Crave Rua in two. That a girl would be born. A girl named Deirdre. A girl so beautiful that men with great power and foolishness would lust after her and cause such a rift between those men that fighting would rip through the Crave Rua, splitting them in two. At the time, some men called for blood to cut the child out of the mother, killing them both. What's two lives, they said no, to save many more in the future. He had been glad at the time that the decision was not his to make, although he had felt trepidation and terror, fear and Uncertainty when Crohor had declared he would keep her away from everyone. Let her grow up in safety and security far away in the cold, quiet places of Ulster so that nobody would find her. And when she came of age, the king would simply marry her, putting her in a position above anyone else so no one would dare to marry or run away with Deirdre. 
The foolishness of his actions were clear for him to see now. The blood beating in Fergus's chest seemed to be beating faster than he had ever felt it before, leaving Ulster as he was now going across the border towards a neighbouring county, towards a place that was known as the land of his enemies. But when you turn your back on those you are loyal to, your enemies become your friends. He shook his head in remembrance, remembering how he had seemed it trivial, not too important, nothing that should really shake the Crave Rua to its core. When he had heard that Nisha, Anla and Ardon had gone missing, he thought they'd be safe. They were as fierce as lions in the fight. But when the messages had come back from Lowercombe, Deirdre was missing with them. He had shown how pitiless and how pathetic he surely was. He had sent out everyone in search for the sons of Ishnak with a reward for their head, he had said. Fergus was shocked. Horrified to see his own king turn against three of the greatest warriors of the Kravrua, his own students, boys he had trained in the boys' troop. And yet, when they had gone to Scotland to high hindled Alban and found safety in the high, wild places, Fergus had been relieved. Perhaps time would ease this prick and pain of ego for Grahur. He knew it was more that someone dared to go against the king's word than anything truly upsetting the king outright. Or so he thought. He thought so much time had gone by that surely by now the king's heart would have softened. Fergus felt no hardship for Crohor for stealing his kingship away as he saw it. Surely, by now, he would have overcome this prick to his pride. So he'd encouraged forgiveness, talked about how great the sons of Ishnak were, how they were truly missed. He reminded the king at any occasion how if all of the men of Ulster were down with a curse... Even if the only three men standing in Ulster had been Nisha, Anla and Ordon, those three men, facing any army the way they could fight, would hold it safe and secure until the rest of the men of Ulster had woken up and been able to fight back any invasion that had come their way. The sons of Ishnak, after all, had a way of fighting, he liked to remind Kroor, with them standing shoulder to shoulder, their backs facing the middle, pirouetting and moving in a trio, fighting any number they could take down. So many. They had, he thought, but not enough. As the crooked, sharp stones of Ulster flattened, 
he felt a westerly wind blow in his face, his hair standing up more frizzled than usual. He cast his eyes to the far west where he could just about make out the blue horizon of waves crashing on the coast. The cold wind cut through his bloodied clothing, but he saw flatter lands, smaller hills, not the rough and ragged, hard, harsh landscape of the north. It was softening now, still rugged, still stony, still speckled with fairy trees. Magic around any corner, he thought. There was magic in the promise he made. He had promised Grohor Magnasa that he would keep the sons of Ishnuk safe. If they were allowed to come back, he would guarantee their safety, assure them safe passage, and reunite them with the rest of the Crave Rua. How slippery Grohor's mind had been at that time. With no Deirdre, no Sons of Ishnuk, he had a long time to get over his hurt. And when Crohor asked Fergus a pointed question, Fergus had missed the subtlety, missed the cunningness in the crooked smile of Crohor. Those eyes cold and dark. Crohor asked Fergus, What would he do to any man who killed the sons of Ishnuk? And Fergus had sworn any man who killed his sons of Ishnuk would face Leocon, his anger and his sword. And then Fergus had been asked, What would he do to anyone who broke their word? He answered in the same way. Retribution, revenge, and his hard sword would meet their friendly face. And then Crohor said he would not kill the sons of Ishnak. And he swore it. He swore it, Fergus thought. He himself would not bloody his hands. No. Fergus spat on the cold ground. No, he thought, but he would pay someone else to do it for him. And yet Fergus had travelled to high-hilled Alban, left out three great roars across the landscape, calling the sons of Ishnak to come to him, to come and return to Ulster. Three great bellows did he roar across the landscape, and he was overjoyed to see those three sons running down towards him. A meek, a soft, timid and a shy, but a beautiful Deirdre by their side. She was worried, she voiced, worried that she had had prophetic dreams the night before, a crow flying from Ireland with honey in its beacon landing in high-hilled Alban the honey turned to blood she said 
Nisha dismissed her worries as worries of a woman only. And Fergus had tried to leave her worries aside, promising that he would be with them every step of the way. And with every step away from Ulster, he regretted his words to Deirdre. He remembered her soft, pale skin, her beautiful, round, hopeful eyes. Her lips could not smile, but seemed so full and beautiful. But on the boat, across to Ireland, she had spoken little, and only ever answered the questions Fergus had asked her. And he asked why she had left Ireland with Nisha, Anla and Ordon. Why hadn't she come to Ulster? To Owen Maka, to marry the king, Crohor Macnassa, who many women fawned over. Her eyes had been dark when she answered. Something had come over her, Fergus remembered, staring at her so beautiful, so cold and still. She had spoken in a monotone, saying how a man old enough to be her father could never have won her heart. And besides, she had said, she would only fall in love with a man the three colours she saw when she came of age. Those three colours she had seen when a raven had landed lightly in the fallen fresh white snow, black wings spread wide as it pecked down the red blood that had fallen from a slaughtered lamb's cut throat only moments ago. Black and red and white she said. Those three colours are the three colours on my beloved Nisha. Black hair, white skin and red lips. Fergus felt those colours in his mind now, his heart beating faster as he came closer and closer to Crocon Eye. Although his Skin felt ice and white and cold and sore. His heart felt black inside as he was covered in the red blood for the battle gone by. Nisha had had different stories. Stories of their conquests in High Hilt Alban, how they had entered into the service of the king there, been front of the line in battle and fought furiously and fiercely, winning great acclaim. Until, of course, they figured out that one of the king's messengers had seen a sign and a sight of Deirdre, and it was their plot and ploy to remove the sons of Ishnach so that this king could marry her instead, placing her on a high place above anywhere else so no one would dare come to her. Yes, they'd heard that one before. And yet they'd had children in High Hilled Alban as well, Nisha had said. Malanon MacLear had given him the great sword, Fragorok the Answerer. 
as they had left their two children with him to be raised with one of the two a day. He had smiled jovially, thinking about the king's court in Awanmaka, thinking of returning to the crave rua of Ulster, the fun and the differences between the Scottish and Northern Irish accents. <laughs> It'll be nice to be back with those who understand me fully, he had said. So Fergus had given Anla, Nisha and Ardon his word he would protect them and bring them back safely to Awanmaka. Although Deirdre was beside herself in sorrow, claiming she had seen another vision, Fergus promised her too. He had reassured her he had given his word, and he would bring them safely to Awanmaka. And when they landed in Ulster, he was surprised to have been greeted by a man throwing a feast in his name, a feast he could not refuse. For three days and three nights this feasting would go on, they were told. He had been curious why this timing had seemed so strange at the time, but he hadn't seen it. How he regretted it now, he thought. If he had only seen the signs, if he had only seen the betrayal in Grohur's eyes that day he had left, if only he had spotted this merchant saying he was spreading a great feast for Fergus, who was under a gesh never to refuse a feast in his name he could not refuse. Although, what doom he could have evoked, which was worse than what had happened he did not know. Deirdre had lambasted him, had called him terrible names for abandoning them, And yet Fergus had tried to soften the blow to reassure and show the sons of Ishnuk that his own sons, fair-haired Illin and rough-red Boinia, would follow them and bring them to Owen Makla safely. It had not been enough. Finally, when he heard the sound the sound of battle come to his ears. He could enjoy his time with this woman. She was reported to have needed thirty men a day to satisfy her needs. Fergus often needed seven women each day. Their needs might match. Her need for vengeance against Crowor might match his own. After all, they had been enemies for decades. A fresh rivalry Fergus had found with the same name, the same king to be defeated. And Fergus wondered whether he would tell this queen Ulster's greatest kept secret, a secret that would ruin King Grohor and give Fergus his chance for vengeance. A secret that would surely bring the destruction of the Crave Ruah.